need to control. Um, your circumstances, other people, family dynamics, friends or friendships, do you have a propensity to want to control everything that's around you? Or the speaker up the front who's not getting to the point and, have, and could have couched it another way? Or being offended and responding with judgment? Oh, we're two slides on now, babe. Yeah. Um, and saying unkind words or, even worse, thinking thoughts about taking them down a peg or two because you feel rejection inside. When we act in the flesh, it is sin. Because sinfulness, among other things, is an unholy response to something or someone, among other things. But it is a response that takes us out of, I guess, that immediate fellowship with Jesus at that point. We separate ourselves from Jesus' love when we respond out of the flesh. We may feel justified of how we react for what they did or someone has done to us that they made happen, but our response is still sin if it's done in, um, in a sinful way. Are those of us who have said yes to Jesus Christ, are we saved? That'll be a resounding yes. However, not every part of us is holy. And I, I really commend Jan for sharing that because that's something that was an unholiness in your in your soul for some time until God brought it up to say, now's the time. Do we think, say, and do all things in the holiness of Jesus? Well, I know that I don't always do that. Yes, our salvation is for life, but the outworking of that is that God is perfecting us to the end, completing a good work in us, his good work in us, as it said in Philippians. That actually means a dying daily, dying daily to fleshy responses and living under the grace of Jesus. And it's not easy. Yep, all sin is forgiven. We are forgiven. We have a clean slate, but we wrestle daily with our flesh. Every time we react negatively, we're not dying to self, we are not dying to flesh, and we're not living in holiness. At the end of the text, Paul asks a question, and he gives the answer. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer is, thank God, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things, um, things right in his life. Sorry, I'll start that again. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. So Jesus, we know, is the only one who can heal us. He sent his spirit to do that. So how do we let him help us? How do we let him heal us? Do we suppress the temper, grumbling? Do we suppress negativity? Or do, do we do what my brother does and jest? Happy plays, happy plays, happy plays. Do we ignore it? Do we justify it? Well, I've got three steps that have come to mind. Now, as I was thinking about putting this talk together and I just um, broached it with a couple of people, Two of them said, there's a sermon in there, so here it is. Here is a three-point sermon right for you now. Um, it's, I'm giving you a tool, I guess, to take home and think about. So the three steps I'm going to um, share with you now, they're not always easy because we are a work in progress. But the steps have helped transform many, many Christians, including me, and I'm not there yet, to come to a more wholeness in Jesus. And the first one is self-awareness. 
Our fleshy responses are indicators that something isn't quite right in us. Something wasn't quite right in me when I threw that mandarin, quite clearly. What should have I done? Well, not throwing the mandarin, but there was something behind that. But in developing a self-awareness of these behaviours is the first important step. Letting the flesh rule rather than a God-given grace happens when what I call when we have a trigger. Such can happen when a negative comment is made to us or an event that elicits quite a strong response. A response that's a little bit more exaggerated than what it calls for. Those immediately flashes of response before any common sense is brought in indicate that something isn't quite right in us. In Gary and Maya's first year of marriage, I had numerous triggers because of my past. And Gary would say things to me like, what's happening for you? Or is this about me or your past? That was a really good diffuser in the moment and it also the questions started to teach me self-awareness because I actually didn't have that before then. The strength of my emotions indicated something bigger was going on than what was happening now. When I thought I had done something wrong, for instance, I would feel condemned, I would feel embarrassment, and I'd feel ashamed, and they were big triggers for me, for something quite little and innocuous. I couldn't find my voice to respond when I got upset, and it was how I reacted that was beginning to show me there was a red light of something deeper going on. Incidentally, Gary doesn't ask that question so much these days. It's not because my issues have been dealt with and that I'm Christ-like. No, it's because he's the trigger and he knows it and he doesn't want to go there. <laughs> Sorry, Ham. Yeah, I love you too. <laughs> I was asked to talk to a middle-aged woman recently in another church on a sense of her call to a profession that she was dithering about and not sure about for quite some time. And um, she'd actually had the call, as it turns out, for about 10 years. And I was questioning her and just saying, you know, drawing up cost-benefit analysis of, you know, what are the holdbacks, what do you need, what are the pros and cons, your family support, your finances. And then there was a little check in my heart to say to her um, and, and ask permission to speak and say, I sense there might be a self-esteem issue going on here. And she paused and there was just that wait. And then she said in a really small voice, yes. And it's as Pete said, you know, crushing the caravan and stepping out in your call. She was in her caravan for quite some time. I don't know what's happened to her yet, but I'm hoping that she, when she, I invited her to look at these steps for the self-esteem issue, that she could, could step out and claim her acreage and move into this new profession that she felt God had been calling her into. Do you recognise some of these? Uh, look, and hey, if, if you don't have any triggers... I want to come and talk to you and see, <laughs> see why it's so good. But um, these may, these may uh, resonate with you, they may not. How do you feel when you're caught behind a slow car or a, or a queue that you've been standing in that's moving too slowly or the queue on your other side is moving faster and you want to jump before the queue, between the queues? How do you feel when a colleague or associate talks over you and keeps interrupting you? Or a stranger who abuses you in public. Like, I've done a misdemeanour in a car. I did something silly. Um, was it my fault? I don't know. But I was so verbally and, and atrociously abused, I felt that shame come over me. And it was um, a really hard thing to, to hear from a stranger when I know that I'm actually quite a good person, I think. How do you feel when your close relative tells you what you should be doing? And really, why can't people just walk on the left side of the footpath? 
I'm going to teach this world one pedestrian at a time. <laughs> For some people, you may find self-awareness is a little out of your reach. And if this is a little bit difficult, there are amazing counselling um, services out and around about, and there are also counselling courses that are available to help you teach uh, or learn about self-awareness in that area. And I hope too that you do have loving family and friends around you to hold you to account and speak the um, truth and love to you. So the next one is owning your issues. You hear it in kids. He made me mad or she made me do it. We get that from, we got that from when sin first entered the world when Eve took and ate of the apple and it rippled outward when Adam said, she made me eat of the fruit. He projected it onto her. He was blaming another for his choice of behaviour. Our feelings and actions are ours to own. No one else. Ours to own, and there's no one but Jesus who can help us to um, heal those behaviours. Projecting them onto another person, oh good, he's good, um, who has triggered something in you is not owning those feelings. It brings it with a victim mentality and it certainly is not a holy and Christ-like response. And one little um, red light I think I'm, I've been able to help people with in myself is if there's anger, anger is a mechanism that God has given us to protect our wounding. It's what we do with that anger that matters. So we can be angry but we need to recognise it for what it is and we've got to find out why we've got it there and we've got to surrender that anger to God before we can work on what that anger was protecting in our hearts. I, I will segue, um, um, I've been helping in a year, for years in, in schools um, teaching kids to read and um, they, the decile one schools, I was at Russell's school and I've been at Tairangi and it's helping kids who don't fall within the funding of teacher aid so I, I spend time with them there was a little boy, he was actually a gang, gang kid. Um, his parents were, were gang members, are. And as I came into the classroom one day, there was a reliever there and he was about to explode. And because I knew with him and worked with him, I just removed him from the classroom and asked what was going on for him. What's happening for you, I said. And he, oh, he did this. And it was anger, anger. And I thought, you know, I might be able to teach him something little here to take forward. And I said to him, do you know... The anger that you're feeling is covering something in your heart that you're hurting on. There's something that hurts inside you, so your anger's making sure you don't get hurt, get hurt any longer. And he just rested with that, and the next thing, he had tears coming down. I've never seen this boy cry. And I just said, what's happening for you? Again, lovely line. Don't patronise with it, but it was a very good line. I said, what are you feeling? And he said, I'm feeling sad. So he once was able to put a word around an emotion and look past his anger. And I hope he's been able to move forward with that. When I get caught behind a slow vehicle around the inlet, I mean, really, come on. I, you know, I'm a, I've got to get places. I know that I'm, my impatience is my issue, and I choose to take a deep, deep, <laughs> deep breath. And as I breathe out, I thank God that I can spend a little bit more time and look at the wonderful view of this inlet that he has put me to live around. But my mum, my mum passed away 40 months ago, blink slide, please, hum. Um, bless her heart, really, but she was a very broken person and she used to really make me mad. 
right through my teenage years and right into my adulthood, she would constantly ask me nosy questions. And she would often say things like, I shouldn't say this, but, and go on and say the things she shouldn't be saying. She really invaded my privacy and as she sought information that gave her power. And that was out of her brokenness. And I can see that now, but as a teenager, we were butting up the whole time. Because she beat the truth out of me, and that is literally um, beat the truth out of me as a child, I couldn't lie to her, so I was compelled to answer these intimate questions without um, being, having the um, capacity as an adult to keep them private to me. She made me really resentful. Why couldn't she stop asking me those questions and making her comments, especially when she said, I shouldn't say this, but... It took me till my 40s to learn actually that the resentment was mine to own. And as I did, a revelation came from God at that time. And this is, I must say, at a time in my life where I came back to God in a hugely rebirthing way. I'd been, uh, I had come, become a Christian and had baptism in the Holy Spirit as a 15-year-old, um, moved away and by being in a, a Catholic church setting for 20 years and, and sadly in that setting drying up a little bit. But I came back to God in a heavy way, and this was part of my him infiltrating my heart in the most beautiful ways. So he, he would spoke to me then. The revelation from him was when my mum said or asked a nosy question, I was able to say, I'm not answering that. And I got the power back. I took autonomy back. And that really rattled her and annoyed her. But funnily enough, she stopped asking questions because I stopped answering them. There was an incident a while later, my mum and dad came round to have some lunch, and this is pre-marriage pre to Gary days, and mum said her line, I shouldn't say this, but, and she proceeded to say what she shouldn't have been saying. And I remember I just said to her, mum, you're right. And she drew up an inch, and I said, you shouldn't have said that. My dad laughed, it was so funny. I mean, it, he laughed so loud, he just burst out laughing that I got there. Um, I laughed too. It was a really good diffuser, but it really helped. But what I, I do find is that my, my personal difficulty is it takes me a while to find out what's going on when I'm triggered or when something is unsettling in me. And it can take me a day or two to realise and the dark clouds roll in. It takes a little while, but then I can get this language around what is it going on? What's mine to own? What's the other person's to own? When we're at this point, it does lead us to what we can do about it. Recognising and owning our triggers is one, one thing, and two, or two very good things. And there's a third step, and I think for me, and for many others, it's the best part. And it's probably the hardest. And for some of us, we may never get to this part. And that may be because it takes vulnerability and humility to do something about this in this way. And that is to let Jesus bring the healing. And there's one way that has been um, particularly helpful. You know, I've said I've been to counselling services and they've been helpful and I've been to Christian courses that have been helpful. They've been helpful to help my mindset and understand what's going on for me. What they haven't done is speak to my heart. My heart hasn't been convinced of the truth that I've been hearing through my ears and through my eyes. So while I've been doing these courses over the years, my issues have remained. So I can... Um, use cognitive behaviour therapy, for instance, to overcome and be a better behaved person, but inside there were still the issues that were really giving me turmoil inside. 
I've had some amazing wow moments over the years and many, many, many years and many, many press sessions. And it's been a great journey, I have to say. And because I don't live with the baggage or haulage, as I used to call it, um, I don't need to live with it any longer because I can have God come in or Jesus come in and heal that in that place. Most of you who I come into contact with uh, would probably see me, probably, don't answer this, don't say anything, as an articulate and sometimes wise woman. <clears throat> there might be some truth in that, there may not be. Don't say anything. <laughs> but what many of you don't know is that there have been times when it's come to my own needs, I haven't been able to find my voice. I literally do not know how to say my needs. There have been times when um, my mum was inappropriate, that I'd learnt to say things to help me cope, like I'm not answering that. But it was what was going inside that was I didn't have a voice. I had to practice saying those lines to her. I have to say, I had to practice them so I could say it without getting emotional. When I couldn't find the words and I tried to say something, I would get really emotional in my voice. There was a time when I felt really ambushed one day. I had um, an associate with an um, um, organisation I've been involved with over the years who rang and asked a couple of questions about something and then she hit me with an ethical question that needed a lot of prayer prayerful response and I needed time to pray about it and, and see what God was saying about what the answer was for that for me and, and in a biblical way. And um, I was really put on the spot. I felt I was really in the spotlight. I felt ambushed. I could hear my voice become unsteady and this person noticed it and made a comment. So I, I said I needed to end the conversation and think about what's going on and think about my reply and, and get back to them. The, this, uh, that's one example of that coming back um, and it's, there's been uh, many other triggers and at last, earlier this year, my husband said, well, in a very nice way, do you think you could do something about it? And my response was, it's always me. It's always me who needs you know, fixing. I'm broken again. Oh, he's right, I am. Um, sometime later, though, I did go and get some prayer ministry about this and it was really quite profound and it took me to a place that really really surprised me. When I was five, a new entrant at school, new entrant at school, we used to drink milk back in the day. Who, who's in that generation? Yay, drinking milk, yeah. Oh, I thought you were young over there. Oh, you, that was in the UK, was it, Simon? Yeah. Because <laughs> you're a young'un. <laughs> um, and milk was spilt. And um, I don't know how it happened, but um, I believed I might have been part of it. I have no recollection of that time. What I do remember are two teachers standing over me as I sat down and accusing me of spilling the milk. I felt under the spotlight, and I literally could not speak. And because I couldn't speak, I was deemed guilty. And because I was deemed guilty as a five-year-old, I was strapped. You think I would have been used to my mum's jam spoon on my backside? <laughs> that was humiliating. Um, so, in this prayer ministry that um, was facilitated for me, it was as I was talking to these prayers about my emotions of not having a voice. They asked the Holy Spirit to take me to a memory, and that's where that first thing popped into my mind of that incident, and they unpacked it for me in a beautiful way. The next question they asked is, oh, where's Jesus in that memory? 
And I sat with my eyes closed and stayed in that space and just looked around, and it was phenomenal. Jesus was actually sitting next to me on the floor in this little classroom with these little people. He was sitting there, right there next to me. And immediately, oh, I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> immediately, I felt a calm and peace come through me and outward. It was just phenomenal, just like that. It just radiated. The power of that silence has gone because the lie-based belief that I had been speaking up, that about speaking up for myself has been replaced with truth that Jesus is my advocate. He's given me the courage to speak for myself, and I tell you, that was a huge leap forward in being able to articulate my needs when my boundaries have been compromised by other people. The ministry I received, and I don't know where I should be now, probably blank. Is there a blank? <laughs> the ministry I've received and had the privilege of being involved in is gentle and it's safe because Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit guides the prayers to listen to him and Jesus speaks to the person who's come with the issues. The main thing that I find and the most important for me is that the prayers wait for the Holy Spirit to bring the revelation. Now we can see as people, when we're praying with people, I know what they need. I know what they need to hear. And it's really easy to want to speak that out. But actually, that's not the moment. That can come right at the end. This is the moment where the Holy Spirit is ministering to our hearts of that wounding. And if it's interrupted, it can be lost until the next time. But that is the most precious, precious gift at that time, the Holy Spirit bringing revelations, bringing truth to the lies that we've been operating out of all our years. So the prayers don't say what's happening because it will only reach our mind and they wait for Jesus to bring the truth. My lies in that incident or in instance were that no one will believe me, I can't speak up for myself and I'm not significant, I'm insignificant. The truth that was revealed to me then was what I have to say is important to God. He knows my heart, he listens to me I am significant and I matter to him. And it's not about mattering to other people. It's not about other people listening to me. It's that I matter to God and he listens to me and I am significant in him. The day I threw the mandarin at my loving daughter was an unholy response to a trigger about my worth. I can testify through this prayer ministry I don't throw mandarins anymore. <laughs> yep, I can get offended and sometimes I get mad. But the power of Jesus' healing has brought me, uh, has brought truth to my worth in him. And those triggers don't have power over me. Some have a little bit of power, they don't have the power they used to. I'm a work in progress. So I have some questions. What keeps you from walking in God's truth for your life? And what might your triggers be? And the cool thing is that here at King's, there is a freedom prayer ministry that Nat has um, raised up within this church and has put um, Helen Riddle and myself as facilitating. Um, and it's available to anyone who needs to come in and just let God meet them with their issues. I can say that every team member, every prayer team member has had the same ministry and has brought their own deep stuff to God. 
And they've done it in the same way and have come for, um, through transformed in, in areas in their lives. And I'm sure they'll be happy to testify for that with that. But I also want to say that there is no condemnation in Christ. There is no shame in the prayer sessions. No judgment from those ministering. Because actually all they do is sit there and go yada yada and let the Holy Spirit talk to the prayee. So look, if you want to um, explore something like that, then come to talk to Nat, talk to me, talk to Helen Riddle, um, or anyone else you might know who's on the prayer team. And as you may be thinking about the things that you might recognise as yours to own, don't be considerate about what your best person in your life should be doing about their stuff. Look at what you should be doing with your own stuff and own it, because that's the work in progress that Jesus wants with you. We are work in progress. It's not about them. It is actually about you. It's about dying to the flesh and living in holiness and grace. Well done, Nikki. Well done. Where's Jack? <laughs> Can we just stand, please? Can we just stand where we are? Thank you so much, Nikki. I don't know whether you spotted it, but right from the beginning, uh, God's been wanting to deal with hearts, uh, quite without our planning. Uh, I didn't fully know, not fully, what Nikki was going to be sharing. Some of it I did. Uh, and I didn't know the prophetic word that Jan, or the story that Jan felt to bring. But these are deep things, and uh, it's amazing. God's healing, God, that word save, heal, is such a big word and covers so many ranges of God's work in our lives. And uh, even as Nikki, so transparently, thank you, Nikki, for just opening up your own life that way. It ministers to us because it says it's okay to do that. And we live most of our lives with masks in place. And as I said earlier, we know the right words to say. All the time, God loves us so profoundly that he will not leave us where we are, but is conforming us to the image of his son. And he puts us in fellowship and family for that as well. That's why we can minister to each other too. But it's not that we do it on our own. It's that by his spirit, he is profoundly working in our lives. So can we just pause for a moment before we race out and get children and get on with the rest of the day? Actually, you know, your life can be changed, transformed, moved on in the next few minutes. Not because of us, but because of him. So let's just pause for a second. Forget about the person next to you. Forget about the children you need to pick up. And just wait for a second, shall we, before God. Father, we thank you for what we've been hearing. We thank you, Lord, that you are deeply, deeply involved with our hearts as well as our physical, physical bodies too. We thank you for Jesus and his full sacrifice on the cross which sets us free from our sins and the work of the enemy. But Father, we thank you for the work of the Spirit who applies that victory in our lives, that helps us as we apply and we receive the good things that the Lord Jesus died to give us. So Lord, we thank you. We've not been left as orphans, but you've given us your Spirit and you are set and determined to work the image of your Son into our own lives. So we thank you for that, Lord. Oh, Father, thank you for the journey that we're on. 
What a wonderful journey. It's assured that you are undergirding us all the way. By your grace, you've brought us this far. By your grace, you'll take us on. You who've begun a good work in us will carry it on to completion. We are your workmanship. Hallelujah. In Christ, you're our, you're our master carver, our great craftsman. We are your clay. We thank you, Lord, that we are here and being crafted for the display of your splendor. Oh, Father, thank you for the way that you're working in our lives. Father, for our part, we say we are trusting you. We are trusting you now to keep working in us. Even now, Holy Spirit, be brooding upon us. We give you, as it were, full permission. We open our hearts afresh. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all who are thirsty. For those who are thirsty this morning, yearning for more of him, yearning to break through in areas and situations that have held you back, yearning for breakthrough. And even now be expressing your thirst to him by reaching out to him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Strange, I have a, a picture in my mind of someone facing the corner of a room, not looking out from the corner, but facing into the corner. And uh, I just felt even as a child, you've been put there. And you don't belong there. You feel you don't belong. And it's not good to be there. But you feel confined. And it's a dark place. Maybe it's a memory. Maybe it's a description of how you're feeling now. But if that's you, I'd love to pray with you. I believe that God will want to set you free. The song we started with was about freedom. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Don't know if anybody else has any words, words of knowledge in particular, just share them. Thank you, Lord. I just felt um, the last few weeks that God has got some pretty big things for people in this church and around stepping out into the dreams God's called them to in areas of... Um, business and education and health and it's like God's given you dreams and big things but like what Nikki's been saying there are lies underneath that's holding you back and I feel like there's some people here who just think God has spoken but I don't have what I need to do those things I don't have what it takes and actually that's a lie it's actually like a poverty mindset whereas the father says if I speak I'll give you exactly what you need he pays for what he orders he says go and do this he gives you the time the resources the money the connections to do that I just feel like there's some people who have kind of they've got deep words in them. They're like, I really want to step out in this area of, of the health sector or this area of um, in business, starting a new entrepreneurial thing over here or, or an education or things like that. And God is saying, where's your heart at with what you need for that? Are you trusting me? Are there things in there that actually you haven't dealt with that um, stop you from realizing that your father has what you need and will provide those things and wants to go on an adventure with you? So... I just want to pray for anyone who would feel that way. Father, we just thank you that believing lies is not what you have for us. 
And when you say, uh, go and do this amazing thing with me, you actually provide everything we need to do it because we're the little children and you're the big father who owns the whole world. Lord, I pray you just highlight to anyone's heart now um, if they're believing that lie that's holding them back from the, the dreams you put in their hearts. And Lord, I pray you'd speak to them and give them the key out, whether it's a memory or or something underneath, the root of that of that lie, that you just expose that right now and gently work them through to a place where they can believe that you have everything, they have everything they need and every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father. And obviously, if that's you, I'd love to pray with you as well. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for being here with us. Praise you, Lord, that your grip on us is far stronger than our grip on you. And we just say, Lord, please continue to breathe on our lives and work your will and your ways deep into our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Next week, we'll be back here, ready to encounter God, I believe, in a deep way. So that's next Sunday. But until then, well, we'll see if we don't see you before. God bless you. Have a great day. And uh, please continue to keep praying for the Alpha folks and the Alpha team and those who are there hearing about the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. Please, throughout the day, please keep praying. If you'd like to respond to any of the words that we've said, or just go and see Nikki afterwards, and please just go and tap her on the shoulder, and I'm sure she'd be very happy to pray with you as well. God bless you. Cup of tea at the back. Let's go on, uh, and just enjoy being the church. Amen. There's a quiet place that gives me peace when I'm alone with you. There's a hiding place.